Hello and welcome to Overfitted. I'm your host, Maxime, and today we are talking with Paul Weber. Paul was head of research at Native Instruments. Native Instruments develops, manufactures, and supplies music software and hardware for music production, sound design, and DJ. Paul has built a machine learning team and applied machine learning to music production tools. We will talk about what role AI plays in music production and creativity generally. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. All right, so let's jump right into it. Let's say I'm like a musician, I'm making a new track. What kind of maybe like functionality do you think exists today? It could be done with AI to help one produce it. I don't know, ask AI to generate a track and start from there or do they um, search for certain tracks to get inspiration, et cetera. I think the like asking just for like a system to generate the music exists today in a very small sub vertical of the music creation process. And that is for so-called commodity music. Commodity music is, for example, you produce a, a YouTube video or like in your case, you have a podcast and you need some background music to be playing. So <laughs> like to make the podcast a little bit more like pleasing to listen to, you want to have like some, maybe some music playing, maybe some atmospheric sounds in the background. And there are some tools that are really great at generating this. You upload the, the recording of your podcast and it will basically create a backing track for this. You also need this community, commodity music for say like a, a corporate video or something, or you want a background music for like a game where like the music is not really the, in the foreground of, of this, the content you're producing, but it's actually just part of the experience. I guess in the future, this will also become part of like virtual reality. And there, I think engines exist today that will generate the music basically at a press of a button or with a few parameters you put in about the mood, for example, or the, the speed you want the music to play. Otherwise, there some there's an entire category of like tools to help people compose music. It's like without the use of AI, there have been a lot of tools that implement music theory to help you write where you specify the the key, for example, and the mode that you want to write for. And it, the system will make sure that everything you compose is either in key or like related to it and also maybe make suggestions, for example, to create a matching chord sequence for a melody you come up with. It's easy to do melody because you can hum, but it's a bit harder without like a good training to be able to harmonize. And like traditionally you would do this composing on a piano, but today you do this in like kids, they do it, but a lot of music producers will do this in a digital audio workstation on what's called a piano roll. And there are a lot of like tools that will help you either write this music or make changes to it. So you can get variations and then try them out. So this, this exists today. It's called like either playing assistance or smart play or something that might be even integrated into the musical instruments. And that's also what Native Instruments, my, my previous employer, actually pioneered building kind of smart keyboards that allow you to um, yeah, be a bit more efficient in, in producing within music theory. But what's happening over the last couple of years is that these tools move away from expert systems with music theory baked in to a more flexible tooling where either the expert system is actually more sophisticated and it becomes less obvious how the decisions are made or actually moving to kind of recommendation where kind of yeah, machine learning trained model will do inference on, for example, suggesting the next node. And there's a lot of academic work on 
using something like a kind of the equivalent to a large language model that will guess the next word in a sequence, like GPT-3. You also have, you can use GPT-3 to suggest the next, or like something similar in structure to suggest the next node in of any musical piece. Hmm, that's really cool. So the, the first example you gave of like making sure that you are in the like range and in the right key, that was more expert systems. Today, it's also more like suggesting actually what comes next. And this also happens with machine learning or expert systems as well. I think most of the tools that are actually successful and commercially relevant today are expert systems. Some of them may claim AI, but it's hard to, to, to say. It's more on the academic side where it's clear what actually is working under the hood. There have also been kind of systems released that will create like the next basically work in like the, like trained on the, on the body of work of a deceased artist, where you can say like, what would be the next symphony written by someone. And if you train on like the whole body of like buff works, you will get something in the end that sounds like buff, but it's not really a interesting piece. And this has been done. It's also very similar to the limitations you see with large language models today. They're actually good at producing short form content or continuing short, like in short form, but then not, not yet good at, or like also like technically limited in their memory to, to write also like musical in, in a musical sense, write music to write a longer piece that's cohesive and interesting because what you will usually get is something that is kind of moving along and kind of seems to make sense, but it's, it's not a relevant piece of, of art. And I think that's where the limitations of like music composition and text generation are similar. I think in music generation, there's a lot less investment into making these tools work and which also just means there's probably a bit more room to improve on, on the current state of the art. That's interesting. Have there been any like papers maybe that you know of, of doing something like large language model? So where you would have like a huge data set, right? Of like, I don't know, all of the songs that you could possibly scrape and try to, yeah, create a model based on that. Yeah, sure. There's, yeah. there are a lot of models for this, even like just using like large language models to suggest notes actually by, by right. more or less like kind of taking a large language model and then fine tuning it on just a sequence of like of, of notes, like, because you can express them in like in symbolic music. So like as, as text or numbers and that is, it's, it's possible. I don't think it plays a role in, in the tooling for music production. Mm -hmm. Why, why, why do you think not, it seems like it would be a, a killer way to produce music. Just ask an AI to do it for you. I think a lot of people working in the academic side of like music technology have been pushing this and there's also like some artists doing fully AI, AI generated albums today. And there's like some great examples where this as kind of like a more like art piece or installation is quite impressive. I think from a more like product perspective, having like the AI basically in charge of the creative process is a solution to a, a problem very few people have. Um, and th this again, like people like writing like community music, people say like, oh, I just want to have some music playing in the background. But the largest part of people producing music either do it as part of like a very personal project or maybe even just their personal expression, playing music at home or like doing this for like their artistic brand. And here, like, I don't think there's a, a desire from the artist side to give away creative control of that process. I think these artists are happy to get help to 
express their own artistic visions and ideas, but having basically the system create the music entirely is 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 not the is not what the today's music producers ask for. It might be, and that's kind of like one hypothesis that in the future there might be more people onboarded into the music creation process who are more open to saying like oh, I will just yeah, make a few basically like like high level inputs and then see what the system does for me. Yeah, I think this is definitely an interesting part of just like generally AI and creativity, where if someone generates art with stable diffusion and DALI as well, like how much do they feel like it's their work? You know, it, it takes a lot of time to maybe find a good example, but it's not necessarily the same feeling for sure. I think um, there's, a, there's a bit of a difference between like image generation and, and music. One is that uh, like, in images, if you get like a weird style or like a glitch, that's still kind of interesting. But once you create like glitchy music, unless you're like in glitch, which is an actual music genre, you probably will find this like unpleasant to, to listen to. Or even like if you go too far outside, like or people who are very used to like music theory or like have a, a classic, classic music education will find anything that's not basically within this, within the rules of music th theory hard to listen to and that's also true for like just the technical audio quality if you want to generate audio directly is that it will pierce your ears or sound wrong and I, I think there's a bit more flexibility for people to accept if you look at a lot of like generated AI generated images I think it's getting a lot better in the last couple of weeks but I think the breakthrough for image generation happened before these images were free of artifacts or weird glitches in, in many cases which for music would just be like hard to listen to and not not as enjoyable. Right. So with, with the tracks generated today by AI, I mean, do you think the problem is that they have these glitches and it's just super annoying? Or is it more that they're just like boring or not interesting maybe to listen to? I think today the like boring is actually the bigger problem. And but not to to maybe come back to this, so I was before mostly talking about the kind of composition and music creation part. Yeah, I think today AI hasn't had such a big impact. AI has had a big Im impact on music production when it comes to finishing music, like on a technical side. Um, there are like a lot of plugins or applications that will make suggestions based on basically just the listening to the audio. And uh, there are also like cloud-based services where you can upload your music and you can do this with your podcast here, your recording, and it will give out a objectively better version. And I think today in this domain, the results are actually pretty good. They might not be like suitable if you're in an extreme genre that has like, that is far off what's the, basically the, the training data for, for these systems. But if you're in a more like, I don't know, like not even mainstream, but something that like fits the, the, the standards of like what people listen to, you get pretty good results today. Yeah, it's actually true. I'm using Descript and they have like a studio sound feature where you just upload an audio and they yeah make it sound nicer, basically remove any echo, weird background noises. But can you give more examples maybe? So what kind of suggestions can you get, right? If let's say you have an audio track, you know, some piece of music you produced, like what kind of suggestions? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, kind of like a, a killer feature for vocal recordings and speech, but also field recordings maybe, is to remove 
background noises or wind, for example, to clean up the audio. Sometimes when you have like a piece of audio and it's just a few tracks, it's it's not such a big problem if there's a little bit more like other sounds in it. But as soon as you want to put this into a, like a music pro project with with dozens or hundreds of music tracks and you get a superposition of all this basic background noises, you just fill basically your music with kind of background noise that also like will then kind of obscure like the the parts of the music you want to get through. So cleaning up audio, cleaning up vocal recordings, cleaning up speech. I think AI plays a big role there today. There's also, also things like room removal. So you have recorded different pieces of the the music you want to produce, like the like tracks. Either you haven't recorded them yourself, they're kind of like pieces you take from different sources and they they don't sound like they're in a, in recorded in the same space because they were not recorded in the same space. To some people who want a more naturalistic sound, it's kind of important that it all sounds like kind of like a, a cohesive recording. And in this case, you would use AI to remove the room response and get kind of like a dry signal. Like if anyone, if everything was directly to the microphone without reverberations from the room or just anything that is like diffusing or reflecting sounds. And this can be very helpful for for producers to to deal with basically the material. Yeah. So these features, like for example, removing noises or, you know, like breathing, machine learning powered, like there's some data set that you trained on or, you know, yeah, like maybe high level, how, how would it work? There are actually a lot of tools that use AI for exactly this to, for example, like remove the coughing from your podcast here, but also maybe like pop noises like with that, that often happen when you speak closely to a microphone or hums, this, this kind of noise. You also have, for example, you have like guitar players and you had some, you have something that's called fret bus and it's a very, yeah, it's, it happens when you're not playing like very clean, but it's also hard to avoid in some cases in kind of like the more like traditional approach, you would have someone like kind of detail editing this out of the recording by removing certain parts of the audio and just maybe also like parts of the frequency. And today you will just have like a processor that will clean up your guitar recording and will get you something that is like, seems like it was, was played with maybe better technique, which again, like if you record like a singer songwriter part and the guitar is like one of the few parts of that track, you actually want the realism of having also like more other noises in there that feel like, oh, this is actually played by someone. But mm -hmm. if you want to produce a very clean pop track, like this guitar track is part of, I know, 20 layers of guitars that, that go in there with like strings underneath and so on, then you just want to remove all this other stuff and, and just layer the, the cleanest possible right but what i'm also interested in is like when we think about like any machine learning you say like okay what is the data set and what is like the metrics i'm optimizing for so like in this example super high level and as there could be different approaches i imagine but like what what would like the data metric look like I mean, in, in, I have like one example where like you would have like for, for these things, you would first build an expert system that can detect the kind of like artifacts you want to remove. And then you, you build an algorithm that will suppress and kind of lower, lo locally lower the volume whenever these artifacts exist. But the, I think the now like the approach that is, is used by, by, by many companies would be to have like a large set of recordings that 
that have have basically these artifacts, and then you you clean this up and basically do the basically processing like the traditional, and then you use this as input and output to learn for the system to see like okay this is the type of problems I want to fix, and the great thing about this approach is you can of course then increasingly add edge cases or like different different problems and and get a model to be more flexible in in removing say unwanted noises that 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 happen as part of of a recording let's maybe talk about the future a little bit in terms of like research are there any things that you think are happening right now that are really interesting but maybe haven't had an impact on the industry yet but will in the near future i think the audio part of machine learning has gotten a lot less attention compared to like NLP or text generation, also image generation of the, especially in the, of course, past couple of years, there are now kind of like audio is a bit related to time series where there's actually a lot of ML tech available, but you now see like also some transformers or like diffusion models being released that are generating audio directly. Many of them will create a spectrogram, which is a representation of audio that is in, in two dimensions, which allows the adoption of image creation algorithms to kind of create 2D data. There are, yeah, there are some people questioning whether this is the right approach, but it has been kind of an easy way to adopt image generating tech to, to sound generation by creating the spectrogram and then transforming this into like a, a 1D audio file. Yeah. Otherwise, I think there is a big push by kind of social media apps to have more creator tools built in. Obviously, like video is taking over, but a lot of that video includes audio or includes singing, includes background music. And I, I think there's a lot of pull to bring more accessible music creation tools to people who create content for, for social media and building these tools directly into the apps. So what kind of tool would that be, for example? Yeah, I mean, there are like some tools you, you have like the, to create, like, for example, like audio content that are outside of the social media. But I, I guess a lot of the people using kind of like TikTok today to generate videos, there's often like tools to kind of like take some content, like take some video and then transform either the video or the audio and kind of edit this as part of creating a remix or a yeah, kind of like your own take on a certain piece. And for this, there's just a lot of potential to give people a kind of Instagram filter approach to processing like multimedia content, video, audio, and then also use all kinds of transformations that are available through kind of machine learning trained train, style transfer, for example, to, to transform a piece of content into something else, into a different genre or mix together different pieces of media into something that is then in one style. These are, I think, the kind of obvious, but also like, like very useful applications of the technology that exists today. Right. And what kind of filters could that be? I mean, I imagine there's obvious like background noise removal. Are there any other interesting approaches to things you could add? No, I was more thinking about like make everything listen like a classical music track. You take like something and you turn it into a rock version or like a doom metal version of, of that music. And this style transfer, there are actually models that, that can, can do this quite impressively. 
I think they can't do this for the level you need for professional production of say like pop music or like something you you release. But I think they they have a better fit for uh, maybe a bit a more like funny video or like music video that you recreate. Right. What do you think about AI generated voices and the impact that will have? This is kind of outside of the music production tech space. I would say, I think there are a couple of companies doing this today to, I mean, one, some of the examples are like uh, what's used to generate voices of deceased actors for Disney movies, where I think those are really edge cases where like there's all the budget to bring basically people back to life. And I think there are more, maybe like, I don't know, less high fidelity cases where you want to change the, your voice as part of a voice call or as part of the voice in a, in a video game, kind of like group chat. And this is, is kind of like, for me, like hard to answer because I don't have the, like, to ask, like not a lot of experience with that industry. I think as part of kind of an avatar, there's kind of like voice as part of the personality and the same way that people are now creating their image generated profile pictures, like their avatars. Maybe some people also want to have their, I know, uh, avatar voice to, to talk to. I'm not looking forward to people using this in, in business video calls, but maybe, maybe that's, that's what we all have to live with soon. I expect music producers maybe to add voice to their tracks, right? Like if you want to add like, on oh, this is oh. Britney Spears singing like this note, you don't think this will happen anytime soon? I, no, I see. I mean, there's already so much technology to transform voices. If you go start with autotune. And then also voice transformation. I didn't even think about this because I think that that's kind of was solved to some degree. But of course, if you want to, you could deep fake a voice to have like a famous sing, basically sing on your track. But the copyright issues there are hard to, I think, predict. Yeah, this this also exists today, of course, to style transfer into like another voice, which might be interesting. And I think it's already applied to create like a chorus effect where you have like one thing and you want to have like a thing like like the effect as if multiple people were singing this at the same time in different voices maybe a little bit different timing this also exists with expert system without ai and i'm not not really so deep into this but yeah that's i think as part of creative effects of taking a voice and creating for example like backing layers different versions of that voice. I think AI has a lot of potential, but as I said before, like they are very, very good non-AI tools for this too. Right. Let's maybe take a step back and talk. There's a lot of talk right now about generative AI. What changes do you think are coming for creative professions generally? I know you also like to play with stable diffusion and DALI, but right now it seems more like just fun things to play around with. But what do you think will happen in the near future. Mm. Yeah, I think also when looking at what image generation has done to people being able to just create images who are like not able to draw anything, people who would struggle to, to draw a round smiley to make a custom emoji. I think today, like, like this is something that has been solved. And I think overall AI will reduce the barrier of kind of people having to bring a lot of technical skills or experience to participate in, in creative work. And I think there are a lot of people like who are very worried about this, but I think it's just the next step of democratization. For music production, like the introduction of personal computers 
has done a lot to bring down the investment needed to set up a music production studio. Before, basically, digital audio production was kind of possible on a, on a, a, a yeah, kind of like retail computer system. It was like you needed like hundreds of thousands of to just invest into building a music studio to be able to, to record music for like, even like a demo, right? And of course, there were like small like tape recorders or something, but it didn't allow you to produce kind of the quality you needed. But the basic digital has brought basically the like more or less the environment to produce music, like to be creative to a lot more people. And then the internet has democratized access to publishing this by allowing you to just upload it somewhere and not having to go through like some kind of gatekeeping, which again has some negative effects as well. There's way too much music published, for example, today. Like no one can listen to all the the tracks that are uploaded to Spotify today. And I think AI will actually take this one step further by democratizing access to the abilities to use the tools of production and maybe also like overcome individual barriers to not being able to to sing very well, to play an instrument. And this will also lead to more like an expansion of the amount of content or like media produced. And for music, I think it's just like the the same as it is for everything else. There is kind of, yeah, like exponential growth of like the amount of me media content that's uploaded to kind of different channels today, mostly social media every day. It's actually kind of interesting. I also wonder with this like AI-generated text, AI-generated images, just content generally, if there will be like things are going to get worse before they get better. Like there will be just like a flood of bad content from everywhere on the internet. Do you think that will be the case or, and maybe like what will be important then, you know, in like a musician or like what it will mean to be a musician when say a lot of people can generate a realistically sounding track. I don't think that I, I will in a meaningful way, like in increase the basically like what people have to listen to, it will just increase the amount of stuff that no one listens to. And I think today, like it's really hard to get attention to become like, especially if you think of like music production to build like your own artist brand and to become kind of like a working musician with basically doing this as a full job, which very few music producers actually attempt to do. Like it's a, it's just one basically persona in, in, in the entire basic, uh, music production community. But still, this has been hard for a long time. And I think AI will maybe make it easier for some, maybe will make it harder to then get through. But the real gatekeepers here today is, I think, social media and actually getting a following. So I, I don't think AI will be, I will have a like, strong negative effect here. I would rather say it has a positive effect on people who produce music for their own expression or also just want to spend some time doing like something in their music studio because AI will allow them to get to better results in maybe less time and also spending less of their time doing like repetitive technical work and rather basically give them a chance to realize something that's unique and by yeah kind of like assisting them on with parts of the basic workflow that they're not passionate about and that often would actually keep them from finishing a project because they feel like, I don't know, now I have to do all these things and I don't really know how to use these tools. And 
I've, I've tried it like back and forth and I just can't get it to sound right. And I think there's a lot of frustration in, in parts of the, the workflow that people are like, are not like drawn to. So I think for them actually uh, it's great. And another group that for those who adopted actually will also like benefit, like not to be awesome. I think some of it was now a bit negative, but I think a lot of people in music production will become more productive as professionals where AI will allow them to increase the output, definitely in quantity, but maybe also in, in quality for people who actually have like a good understanding of the tools today and who have a, a strong creative skill set as well. For them, more or less, the, the better the tools become, the, the more productive they will be. And I think that's a, that's a good thing is, is, is not going to replace these prof uh, creative professionals, um, but r rather give the ones who learn how to use the new tools, will give them a competitive advantage in a, in a very competitive field. What I heard this, this interesting distinction between the curation versus creation. And some people think that what will happen is that creative like profession will be more about having taste and knowing what is actually like good work versus bad work, because it's so easy to produce something. It's more about saying like, okay, is this good or is this bad? And this is where maybe the artist like will come in. Do, do you think that's true? Oh. Yeah. I think there is like uh, different kind of approaches to like how to interact with, with uh, creative media. Either you're like the creator, like really uh, producing it out of, out of thin air or maybe with a couple of like tools and they're the curators taking basically what others have created and either selecting this or also transforming it. Like the classic example here is kind of like how in hip hop, a lot of music is, is sampled. So like the 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 music that is kind of like not the rap but the, the music playing under the beat is often made from sampled music from for example a jazz recording or like a, a, a track that's that was released earlier can you explain a bit uh, what's a sampled music yeah so sampling is like technically the step of in you can also do this by like in analog in the analog domain by cutting a tape of recordings but i think mostly sampling is taking kind of small digital recordings of like uh, another piece of, of, of music or audio and then putting it back together in usually a different order or like mixing together different layers of these of the sampled sound and sampled music has been basically the core of like uh, hip-hop production since since the beginning and it's like very also defining for the sound of, of hip-hop but today actually sampled sounds are in all, all types of music, unless you have really a band recording in a kind of studio with their own instruments. I think a lot of commercial music, a lot of music produced for film today builds on, on, on sampled music, which means that the producer did not in their studio record the instruments, but actually play back either like small pieces of sounds taken from other recordings which has a bit of a, a tricky copyright situation. To get around this, there's actually libraries where you can pay for royalty-free samples where you know you can use them in your music. And then there's even like one more step is where you take like a pre-recorded loop where actually like the, the there's a, like a short phrase or like of, of music, often with a beat or maybe just a harmony progression. And you, you put this together by yeah, stacking in, in your music projects, these loops 
put them together with your own recordings, put them together with maybe some vocals. And yeah, I think this is, is actually the most, the most used approach to making music today. Right. It's interesting. So you, you can sort of see how the building blocks are getting like bigger and bigger. Mm. You know, you don't even need to play instrument anymore. You can just use a sample or part of the tracks. And I guess the next step will be entire tracks from AI. I don't, I don't think so. I think for this kind of creative music where it's about the artist, like some, like, I don't, I don't remember this, but some label was creating a kind of avatar, virtual reality artist playing AI generated music. I think, mm -hmm. I don't even know, like, like this is like, I don't, I don't believe that's the future. Maybe there will be like some, I don't know, parts of the internet where people enjoy this, but for the most of basically what is like music that people listen to people basically what, what do people put into their Spotify playlist is actually uh, the trends show that's actually more old music and it's more like the top artists. So I think the, the kind of commercial music space is, is, is not moving to some virtual reality and avatars. It's actually moving to a bigger focus on, on certain basic brands, like kind of like classic music, like not classical music, but like kind of like the big acts of like certain genres. And I think the way to compete in this space is to also create an artist brand. And you don't do this by not for the mainstream audience, at least not today, by creating AI generated anything. It's actually kind of interesting. I think I also saw, I don't remember the exact statistics, but that most music people listen to tend to be actually like quite old and very, very unequal in the sense that people tend to listen to the same artists, right? So maybe even if we do have a new wave of content, do you think it's likely, I mean, you already mentioned a little bit, but that the new tracks just won't get really picked up or that it's actually it's just very hard for new tracks to get popular? I, yeah, we haven't talked about this as, at all. Like, of course, machine learning plays a, a big role in selecting music because if you use Spotify or any other streaming service. I think most people today rely a lot on playlists or recommendations for next tracks. And even if you want to create your own playlists, you do this through the search engine that, that is, I guess, like using the, your own songs you had pre previously in your playlist. So that's a bit, I think kind of like that doesn't have to do with music production, but more with music distribution, but then of course has an effect on anyone who wants to reach an audience with their music production because they have to go through music distribution. There are definitely some genres that were kind of popular because a certain sound was used a lot for like playlists on, on, on streaming services. For example, lo-fi hip-hop instrumentals, where this is actually maybe not the most creative genre, but it's good background music. And a lot of people were using this for studying. There was also this famous YouTube channel. I think it still exists for kind of lo-fi hip hop, where you can listen to basically an infinite stream of generated music in this genre, where if you want to produce music for this genre, you really need to fit into the genre because the algorithm that built will kind of recommend music as part of these playlists. I think there's always some human curation as well to these, but I think there's also a lot of basically under the hood intelligence that will figure out whether your track fits into that genre playlist. I think in this way, like the kind of machine learning based recommendation algorithms impact a lot how, how music producers who want to make it to like a larger audience, basically very much like optimize for a certain genre 
And there you can then use this, what I talked about earlier, kind of using reference recordings to make sure that the music you're producing basically sounds like maybe five tracks that you picked from like a, a playlist you want to make it into is actually a very, I think a good, good strategy to, to fit and actually find that yeah, chance at success. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think recommendation systems will play a way bigger role if just the con amount of content will increase significantly, because then it's all about attention and the way we get the content that we focus on right now tends to be through feeds today. I mean, all of it is like recommendations or friends sharing something, but also if you look at any large consumer app right now, they tend to have some sort of feed and recommendation on what for you, for you to watch next. Let's talk a bit about the legal challenges. Who will have the rights for created work with AI and especially when it tends to resemble existing artists, mm -hmm. right? And we know that AI is trained with their data in the like pipeline. And I know there was a few already stories and complaints about, for example, certain artists thinking that stable diffusion is copying their style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not really qualified. I think to too about like the legal uh, challenges in like the the strict sense, and I also thought I knew a bit about intellectual property. But I think looking at the case of like what large language models do today, the discussions we have about code generation matching copyrighted code or like code that comes from frameworks or like three act should be attributed to their creators, but also what we see in image generation where you say like in the style of. And it would be impossible for the model to produce art in the style of a certain artist if, if the body of work of that artist was not part of the training data. So even if you don't, if you don't, if you can't access the training data, it's very clear that a lot of the, the data that, that kind of generative AI models are trained on today are coming from web crawled kind of training data where the output is kind of like infinite new content that's technically considered royalty free, but it's, I think there are a lot of questions about the relation between the, the output generated by the model and kind of like the legal connection to the training data that, that was, was put in there. Also copyright is not a, not so technical. It's not like, oh, because something was generated by, an, by a machine learning model, it's always royalty free is, is not true. I think if you, if you look at how at, in kind of different domains, kind of between say authors or, or musicians and then the rights holders, like publishers or music labels, and then the distributors, like in looking, for example, how the conflicts between publishers for media and Google about like search results, it's a ongoing thing. It's a lot more complicated than saying like, well, there's an algorithm and it it's not basically, it can't copy because it's an algorithm or it doesn't reproduce hundred percent the input because legally there's, there's, I think a lot to consider and I actually don't know enough about it. Maybe to, to go a bit more specifically about like in legal parts of like the music industry, where I think litigation against intellectual property infringement is, is rather common either by or against the individual artists or the major labels. There are a lot of also like uh, you will always find news about one artist suing the other over stealing a melody, stealing the structure of the song. And if you look at these cases, it's often, yeah, it seems like there was like some inspiration, but proving this or 
having like a clear way to decide is this infringement or not is often the outcome of a, a legal case. And from the outside, it, it, it doesn't seem very predictable. I'm not aware of any cases like where this, this happens with AI, where like infringement is in the question. And I think it's th this entire basically AI, AI generation hasn't been fully tested in court. There are some artists, I think mainly about this image generation who publicly spoke out on social media against the commercialization, for example, of using their in the style of kind of generation of profile pictures, right? Where this is just, just right now, like one of the questions, like if a company is making lots of money with, through the app store with profile picture generation, and most people generate profile pictures in the style of, of certain like digital artists, like shouldn't they be compensated? Yeah. I think given the scale on which the livelihoods of some individual artists, but also the valuations of big corporations that own like intellectual property catalogs, thinking of in the music space, like the major labels, but also like for like, thinking of Disney, like how much IP they own in visual, but also other media types. I think there will be a lot of lobbying to create some clarity to some, get some regulation maybe in place. But right now we're in the, in the phase where it, like, it's hard to tell. I think no one really knows what's allowed, where's basically, is there like a red line you shouldn't cross? I'm. I think I was before like the, now the image generation happened, like in kind of as a hype, I was more conservative and thought like that wouldn't be allowed. I would be, I don't know, would be more, also more attention, I think for the question of copyright, but looking at the success of image generation, it seems like that's kind of like the success right now is unstoppable and the, the legal questions might be resolved actually later on. Yeah, I agree. And it's a hundred percent true that a lot of people think that if it's AI generated, that it's immediately like free of any copyright issues. But if you do say AI generated image of Yoda and want to yeah. use it on your website, then there's like, well, actually there are other problems because it's a Disney character right now, you know? So um, there are different types of copyright and especially like also for music, there's like different kind of copyrights on the, then there's also something called neighboring rights, which I don't want to go too much into, but if anyone's interested, look this up. And then you even have like even competition law. If you, if you present basically something that a customer would mistake to be from a different brand or like from a different company, this might also be on a like very high level, be misleading customers into like, whose product is this? And I, I don't really know how to, I don't know how to, to phrase this, but I think anyone generating any type of creative output that is close to the intellectual property of, of another business in particular, I think they open up to a lot of, uh, I think like attack surface for, for litigation, but then that also requires, I think like a lot of factors for this actually to happen. And right now I think creative AI is not commercialized at the scale yet that it's clear also what the damages are to the original rights holder. Okay. Right, for sure. Let's talk a bit about doing research. So as I mentioned earlier, you were head of research at Native Instruments. What was it like? Maybe what are like the differences in normal software development process and specifically leading an ML team? 
ML or like any part of like technology that is very research driven is, I think, hard to execute in like software feature development model where like in, in software development, you work with stories or like design concepts and then you more or less implement this where, of course, there's also some research involved in, in many software development projects, but the execution risk is is usually more in velocity, like how long does it take me to complete this story? Where a lot of the risks are where in, I think, more like more like fundamental research-driven topics and machine learning today actually still has this in, in, in most applications where there's a lot more risk in execution, where it's hard to predict the outcomes and also the velocity of the development, but also the, the chances at success to reach a state that is good enough for production. I think this is, is true for like any data science or a machine learning team that they struggle to negotiate commitments with their stakeholders on the business side because you always need to, yeah, you have, you need to find like, do we have the data for this? Like if it's supervised learning, like what's the right model architecture? Can we get good results? And then actually can we implement this in as a feature? And there's a kind of a lot of steps where, where the outcome of the training depends on maybe one bottleneck. And if you don't, if you don't get this right, or like if you just don't have the data, for example, you will not get the, the kind of the, the level of output quality that, that you would need to put this in production. I think that's why it's very important if you do like more research driven development is to make like chase a good choice early on, like hedge your bets on like which technology has a good chance of maturing enough for production. And then also from the beginning have for all the research projects a product fit in mind where you can say like, okay, like we invest now into trying this out because if we can succeed, we can put it into a product here. On the other hand, I think not everything needs to be productized in the first iteration. So I think it's also important when you build like kind of like capabilities for machine learning that you just understand that you're investing into the future and there's kind of like what you build should also be then the platform for for more research, for then maybe more productized development. Can you talk a bit more about this, like hedging paths and the maybe struggle between having something that actually can be productized and researching that and maybe taking bets on things that are, you know, like moonshots or mm -hmm. unlikely to pan out, but it's a very interesting research direction. I think a lot of people today with machine learning or AI think about the kind of moonshot projects and think like also like a lot of the questions in the beginning is like, how will AI replace basically the entire process and do end-to-end -end automation, generating music at the press of a button. I think this is not like how good, like also like product director research work. I think it's really important to do also research more in product development to really think about what, who is the, the user, what are their problems, what of these, which of these problems can be solved with basically traditional means, and then where is actually the good fit, where with the traditional approach, it would be either impossible or too hard or too expensive to, to solve this with, say, an expert system. But there's kind of like a, a good fit where this has to do with pattern recognition, this has to do with kind of, yeah, like building like some kind of recommendation or some kind of algorithm that is just a good fit for machine learning, then you need to ask, do we have the data or can we create it? And then kind of scope a project that is very much focused on like solving an actual problem. 
that that's validated and it's not just some vision of like, oh, what could the future be like? But at the same time, it also needs to attempt something that where the outcome would be kind of a, a game changer. So what was your approach in deciding maybe what areas to you think would be important to research? Does it tend to come from exactly this, like, what are the user problems? What could be a good features that we could build? And then like, okay, what do we need to research to know if this feature is actually feasible? Or would it sometimes be the other way around? Yeah, I mean, also with limited resources, I think it's, it's good to not to do too many things at once. I think it's good to have a focus on building some unique capability that has a good application within the I see the, the product portfolio and in, in one, like, I think the, the, kind of like the first case also we, we tackled was to apply machine learning to virtual analog modeling of sound processors. So to, to capture the nonlinear behavior of audio circuits. I and, think you will yeah. need to dump it down a little bit, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's okay. That's a good point. I think, so a lot of digital music production today tries to sound vintage or retro or sound like you are, although you're using a computer or you're using a very modern, clean equipment to make it sound like a recording from the seventies in a very expensive studio with a lot of expensive gear and your guitars being tracked through vintage audio amplifiers and everything, just having a certain sound of a uh, previous era. That's yeah. actually what people prefer to listen to. It, yeah, or maybe also like the two sides to it. First, it's kind of this audio tech in the, from like the more retro style or like the analog stuff is not just limited in that it sounds old, but actually it was very, very much designed to have that sound, to give a more pleasing, to give a more round, warm sound that both helps for the music to come through. Like, for example, like it creates harmonic overtones for like the, the, the sound you input, which basically fills out the spectrum and also gives it a bit more like a, maybe a bit distorted sound, but before it starts to sound distorted, it's actually quite pleasing. It's kind of like, and also to give everything, yeah, sometimes a certain character that, that you would associate with recordings of a, a certain genre or even a certain music studio where they had like specific gear and also some, some bands, for example, they use always the same kind of equipment because it gives them a signature sound. And sometimes this is just about getting a kind of like more pleasing sound. But of course, if you think about like a, a metal as a genre or like also some other like electronic music genres, actually like heavy distortions or like overloaded sounds that that basically use equipment outside of the, the specification that the engineers might have built it is a lot, a lot of that sound. So sometimes a genre is really about using music gear at the limits of what it can handle. And then you get like a very kind of overdriven or like distorted sound. And that plays a like kind of distortion overall plays a, a big role in shaping sounds and different gear, like different amplifiers or different microphones, different compressors or equalizers, they all have their own sound and machine learning is kind of a good fit to model the behavior of, of nonlinear systems, which, which is, is just what I was talking about, like with these distortions to give you kind of a a very specific complex behavior that is unique to a, a certain piece of equipment. So I think this, this was just a, a very good use case because kind of modeling nonlinear behavior of analog equipment is a big part of, of music tech today. And being able to do this with machine learning was just a very good fit to solve that problem.
Right, super interesting. Yeah, let me maybe ask a, a different question. What do you think makes for a good music? Hmm. Yeah, also like to be honest, like in in many cases, like good music today is kind of rec recognizable. Like if you want to like create like something that is like a, if, if unless you want to do a cover band, right? Um, or if you want to say like, oh, I want to make like one more song in this in this genre of like a hundred thousand songs, if I want to make the next tech house track. For example, that's like if you want to do something unique, I think it's important to also break the rules a bit. Where, and I think now, kind of coming back a bit to the topic, if you only use machine learning automation, I think if you use it with the tools today, you will sometimes get unexpected behavior and you might actually be happy to get some like weird accidents or get it to sound different. But I think for like good music, it's important to have like a, other than the music, if we just talk about the sound, I think is to have kind of like a recognizable sound. It doesn't sound like everything else, but at the same time, also, it's not just random. And I think that is where I think also for the future, there's a bit like a assuming there will be more AI tools that will try to get your sound into a certain format, which knowing how these tools work actually is, 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 isn't really happening, but some people are, are worried about it. But I think it, it will be very important to use these tools, like to be very aware of what they're doing and not work against them, but actually work with them to to create your own sound, oh, right? Cool. Final question. What excites you about the future and is something that you want to work towards? Yeah, I think looking at what ML can do today, it's often kind of adding features to, to apps where like AI features kind of add like a new like a capability there, or you have some apps that are like one trick ponies, like looking at the profile picture generation, right? I think these, these apps right now, they have their moment, but at some point there will be so many of them and the, the tech is actually commoditized today, but even the apps will be, I think, exist after like a short lived hype and still be, I know, usable, but that's not the future of, of AI, I believe. I think there's a, after like a transition period, I'm very excited about kind of a future of AI native apps, like a next generation of apps that are maybe more complex and have a broader use case, but they really build with kind of like the machine learning technology at the heart and also like as part of the concept where the design of the app is kind of informed by like a proper understanding of the real world creative workflows that are more complex than our generated image for me, but also are like very much aware of the the full potential of the technology, also looking ahead. I think that's really the, the challenge today is to think like, how would I design a product with, the, with what ML can do for me in two or three years to kind of be ahead of the, of the innovation and then being able to adopt it once like new things come out or actually like some technology will mature. Can you maybe give an example of what you could imagine as AI native app? basically a workflow. Mm. I think today a lot of like going like to very specific, like to the music tech uh, space, as I said, like a lot of kind of modeled on like retro sounds, but it's also modeled on retro uh, UX. So like you use like a digital product, but everything looks like you're in a, in a music studio with like knobs and sliders and they're kind of like parameters have like weird names where today you have people basically getting into music production and they've never been in, in a music studio. Mm -hmm. But to learn how to use these kind of digital tools, the first thing they need to learn is like, well, what's actually basically the mental model 
of a kind of old school music studio uh, because like my entire software is 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 modeled in the basically after kind of like something that actually is 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 not a requirement today and I think there will be a lot more intuitive ways to give people maybe a kind of semantic approach where they where they don't have to go through the intermediate of the mental model of a music studio to make music, but actually just can interact more directly with I don't know a, a different kind of controls. I think it's it's hard for me to picture this like in in details, but like more more like uh, conceptually, I think something that is is more direct and actually removes a lot of things that. Where you don't need the controls anymore because AI can do this for you, but on the other hand, gives you a, mo a more kind of direct control on like creative choices you want to make as part of your production. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's also I find super exciting how AI will change how we interact with technology and with stuff like text to image. But like, say you would just say what you want to do to this music track, you know, like you upload a track and you say now remove background noise now, make it in the style of jazz, as you mentioned, yeah. you know, with the st style transfer. I think this part will actually not come so much from the music tech, but actually more like, I think large language models where like then like wrapped around like your creative app that does like image creation or music pr production, you would build an interface that maybe goes more into like natural language processing where you can basically without like turning a knob or without like using the mouse or keyboard, you can interact with kind of natural language, not necessarily voice input, but maybe even this at some point. And I think there's a, a kind of a, a change coming to all kinds of software where kind of a lot of like different like detail editing modes or like functions and menus will be replaced by like a single interface where you can just say what you want. Maybe, maybe speaking, but probably at first, like with text input. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Paul. This is an extremely interesting conversation. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on your podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overfitted. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please feel free to reach out. My contact details will be in the podcast description. Thank you.